missions and leadership. I think we all know that, that leadership is vital to human flourishing and that this is true really in any area of life that you would like to pick. That leadership is, is vital to human flourishing. We could think this Father's Day of how that's true in families, how an engaged husband and father makes a difference to the family. It's true also in, in business, in sports, in the military, in government. It's rare for an organization to rise above, to progress beyond the level of its leadership. Leadership is vital to human flourishing. And of course, it's no different in the church. That healthy churches tend to have healthy leaders and unhealthy churches tend to have unhealthy leaders. This point was driven home to me this week as I finally got around to looking at the recent research that's come out of the Pew Research Center. It's had a lot of press over the last month or so. One of their findings was the percentage of adults who described themselves as Christians dropped nearly 8% between 2007 and 2018. We're talking a percentage point a year, which is a pretty dramatic decline. But it was their conclusions underneath this finding that I found particularly interesting. Two quotes for you from their research. First, the drop in the Christian share of the population has been driven mainly by declines among mainline Protestants and Catholics. Secondly, quote, the new survey indicates that churches in the evangelical Protestant tradition now have a total of about 62 million adult adherents. That is an increase of roughly 2 million since 2007. In other words, they, they found that the church is both shrinking and growing. The church is both shrinking and growing. Shrinking in mainline Protestant Catholic traditions that have largely left behind uh, the core tenets of the Christian faith, including uh, the authority of the scripture, that this is a book that is from the Lord that we can trust and that we should submit to his authority over our lives. Uh, Truths like the the deity of Christ, that he wasn't a normal normal man, but was in fact the son of God. Truths like the essential nature of salvation in Jesus alone, that we are needy, broken sinners and can only be forgiven full and free by his grace. You leave those things to one side and your church tends to decline because you're giving your people nothing to believe in. Why would you believe in those things? At the same time, those uh, sections of the Christian church that have stayed faithful to the scriptures and preached about the necessity of uh, Jesus Christ for salvation, uh, both for eternity and for his help uh, today, these sections of the Christian church have have tended to to grow. Now, we don't bring this up in any sense of self-righteous triumphalism. We bring this up as a warning to ourselves. A warning that... Healthy churches tend to have healthy leaders, but unhealthy churches tend to have unhealthy leaders. Here's the point. Leadership works for good or for ill. Where the leadership goes, there normally go the people. 
So again, not about any sort of self-righteous triumphalism, but recognizing that given leadership works, we need to come to the scriptures and get help for how we should be leading this church. I want to see two principles from our text this morning, two principles about leadership, and then give you a sense of how we seek to apply those principles here at MPC, so that you'll have an understanding of how the church operates, that it's not just smoke-filled rooms away in a corner somewhere. Okay, first principle then comes from verse 1 of 1 Peter 5, and it's really an observation simply that, number one, Jesus delegates authority to leaders in his church. Jesus delegates authority to leaders in his church. Uh, We see this in verse 1 where Peter says, I exhort the elders among you. Well, among who? Who is Peter writing to here? Flick back to verse 1 of uh, chapter 1 and we read that Peter is writing to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter is writing to disciples who have been scattered right across these five Roman provinces. How many churches does this represent? Dozens, hundreds, thousands? We're not entirely sure. We're not all that sure exactly when Peter, this book, First Peter, was, was written, or therefore how many churches have been planted at that time. But even if we conservatively say that Peter is writing to, to dozens and, and hundreds of churches, isn't it interesting that he does so without hesitation, without qualification, without caveat, just to say, Elders among you, listen up. So he doesn't say, okay, depending on how you've structured yourselves, and depending on what denomination you are, and depending on whether or not you have elders, if you do, have them listen up. No, he just assumes elders in these churches scattered across these five regions listen up. He assumes that there are these leaders in the church. Why? Because the church has always been and was always intended to be led by those to whom Jesus had given authority. Led by those to whom Jesus had given authority. More specifically, we see three types of leader in the New Testament church. First of all, we see those who are addressed in our passage here, and that's the elders. Those men from among the church have been elected to do what? Verse 2, to shepherd the flock of God. Elders who are to shepherd the flock of God. They are primarily to be concerned about the spiritual welfare of the flock. And so they're to lead the congregation through a ministry of the word, ensuring that the church is uh, moving on a path that is biblical. They're to feed the congregation through the sacraments. They're to protect the congregation through discipline, through this spiritual ministry of word, sacrament, and discipline. They're to shepherd the flock, caring for their spiritual interests. How do we do this at McLean Press? Well, being good Presbyterians, we made committees. That's how we roll. So uh, our session of elders is broken up into a number of different committees who each have oversight for a key area in the life of the church. So we have a committee on uh, worship, uh, what takes place here on a Sunday morning, how we can encourage our people to have a life of worship. We have a second committee on discipleship. How can we equip our people for joyful obedience in Jesus? A third committee on care. What do we need to be doing as a church to make sure that our members are cared for? That when they have struggles of various kinds, be it uh, in a relationship, be it a sickness, whatever is going on in their lives, how can we come alongside them and help them? 
We have a fourth committee on missions, which is uh, how can we as a church be wrestling with the Great Commission and the call God has given us not to keep the gospel to ourselves, but to be extending it here in this neighborhood and to the ends of the earth. Then we have a, a fifth committee that provides administrative support to those, those first four. So our church is structured. Everything we do as a church funnels up to one of those areas and so is overseen by the work of our elders. Elders who shepherd the flock, taking particular interest in the special need, spiritual needs of our congregation. So that's the first type of leader we see in the pages of the New Testament. The second type of leader we see in the pages of the New Testament after the elders is the deacons. The deacons who are primarily to serve the flock of God. If elders are to shepherd, deacons are to serve. If elders take particular interest in the spiritual needs of the flock, deacons take particular interest in the practical needs of the flock. Deacons originated in Acts chapter 6, which I encourage you to to read later on, where the apostles, who were the elders of the early church, performed both of these ministries, shepherding and service. But the work of service begins to become uh, so so burdensome, so so, uh, widespread, that it takes them away from the work of shepherding. And so to enable them to focus on the spiritual needs of the flock, they elected deacons uh, to cover uh, the practical needs of the congregations. Again, at MPC, we have our, de- our deacons are split into four committees. We have a, a group of deacons who work on the, the, the stewardship of our financial resources. So our budget and our money is spent and allocated is overseen by our deacons. A second committee on our facilities. Uh, You can imagine this uh, facility the Lord has given us is a a great blessing and all sorts of kingdom opportunities take place here. However, it also requires a lot of maintenance and upkeep. Recently, we've been replacing air conditioning units. And if you don't think this is a spiritual work, try do Bible study without AC this summer and uh, see how, how important this, this practical concern is. We have another committee of deacons who take care of our, our services, meaning our worship service. So they uh, provide ushers and set up the sacraments and help in the parking lot and these practical needs to keep the trains running on a Sunday morning. And then we have a fourth committee of deacons who are our ministry committee. And they're probably the one you're most familiar with, the committee who takes and distributes our deacons fund knowing the practical needs of the congregation, whether that's paying for rent or groceries or or other things, and seeking to meet those practical needs in that way. Elders to shepherd the flock, deacons to serve the flock, caring for the spiritual and practical needs of our congregation. Third group of leaders, then, we see in the pages of the New Testament, after our elders and our deacons, is slightly different to them in that it isn't really a formal office of leadership, but time and time again in the pages of the New Testament, we see that women are actively involved in the life, work, and leadership of the church. There are elders and there are deacons, and there are also female leaders as well. Some examples for you. Acts chapter 9, we read of... Tabitha, who is praised for her work of mercy among the poor. Romans 16, verse 1, Paul commends Phoebe as a great servant in the church. 1 Timothy 5 describes an order of widows who were devoted to all kinds of good deeds and who dedicated themselves to helping those in trouble. Titus chapter 2 verse 3 recognizes older women and calls them to a ministry of discipleship, particularly amongst the younger women. 
In other words, we have this pattern where we have elders shepherding and deacons serving, and both groups partner with the women of the church. This is why we as a congregation have what we call the Board of Women. It's it's somewhat unique within our denomination. Not all churches in our denomination do this, but this is how we've tried to get our arms around the fact that in the New Testament we see a, a leadership role for women in the congregation. The Board of Women is a group of women who have been nominated and trained and tested to serve alongside our elders and our deacons. They're not ordained into either of those offices, elder or deacon, but they are commissioned and installed to serve in partnership with them. What do they do? Two primary things. First, in accordance with Titus 2 verse 3, they focus particularly on ministry to women. But secondly, they also sit on all of the committees I referenced earlier of our session and of our diaconate so that uh, their gifts and their leadership skills and their perspective is integrated into every decision-making level of our church. And together, uh, these three groups serve in partnership to lead our church. See, as we step back for a second, it's very clear that as we look at the New Testament, that Jesus is the king and head of his church. There's, there's one boss here. Jesus is the king and head of his church. It's one of the questions we'll actually ask our uh, candidates when they come uh, to be uh, an elder or a deacon or on the board of women. You know, who is the king and head of the church? And if any of them say James, we kick him out instantly. Okay? <laughs> Jesus is the king and the head of the church. But this same Jesus from the very beginning has delegated authority to leaders. And here at McLean Press, we seek to be faithful to those biblical categories by having elders and deacons and board of women who serve together in partnership for the advancement of the gospel. Jesus has delegated authority to leaders. That's the first thing. Second thing I want us to note briefly from our passage is, is why he has done this. Why has Jesus delegated authority? The Bible would be very clear that Jesus has delegated authority to leaders for the welfare of those that he's entrusted to their care. Jesus delegates authority to leaders for the welfare of those that he's entrusted to their care. We see this in verses 2 through 4 of 1 Peter 5, where Peter tells the elders to, to shepherd in three ways. Do you see them? Each has a negative and a positive side. First, he says, shepherd, not under compulsion, but willingly. Secondly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Third, not domineering, but being examples. In other words, the authority that has been given to you has not been given for your benefit, but for the benefit of those that you will shepherd and serve. Let's look at them a bit more closely. First, he says, not under compulsion, but willingly. Leaders in the church, you're to serve not because you have to, but because you want to. Serve not because you have to, but because you want to. Not to approach the work of ministry as a burden, as a drudgery, as another thing on the list of to-dos, another thing on that list of things that you don't particularly want to do, but guess you have to get to. No, we're to serve willingly, that is with a sense of of joy, a care and concern for the flock that makes it it a, a natural and joyful thing to be involved in ministry here. Secondly, we read not for shameful gain, but eagerly. In other words, leaders aren't to serve so that they can get something, but so they can give something. 
Don't serve so they can get something, but so they can give something. This phrase, shameful gain, originally refers to some kind of financial gain. Now, in our context, I'm not sure there's a way that our elders and our deacons and our board of women stand to gain much financially. Uh, we sometimes say that they're, they're good for nothing. Um, one or two offended faces. Just think about it a little more. You'll see where you're um, They're good for nothing. Uh, so it's not so much that a financial gain that would be a temptation in our context, but perhaps as some do serve for, for reputation or, or ego. Turning the church into a kind of social club where serving as an elder or deacon on the board of women gives you a kind of standing that makes you feel good about yourself. You like the title. You like the recognition. We remind ourselves that we're not to serve for what we get, but for what we can give. That as Jesus came, the Son of Man, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So we want to serve in that spirit. Third thing we see, and not compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And then thirdly, not domineering, but being examples. In other words, we're told we're not to serve for the sake of power, but for the sake of sacrifice. Some tempted perhaps to serve for the position or the prestige, but also perhaps for the influence. A petty desire to have your own way is what encourages you to serve in the church. And Peter would say, be it not that way. Instead, you're to serve as an example to the flock. In one of his letters, Paul will say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And our leaders are called to be able to say the same thing. Living lives that are exemplary. Living lives that say, follow me. Be like me as I am like Christ. A challenging question for a leader to ask of themselves. How would I feel if my, all my people were just like me? A challenging question for us all. So the summary though being that authority is not given for our own benefit or for our own Welfare. No, authority is given for the benefit of those who've been entrusted to your care. That's true of all kinds of leadership, and it's true of the leadership that's to be shown in the church with our elders, our deacons, and our board of women. Any wonder then that our passage concludes with a call to humility? You see it there? Likewise, verse 5, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There are many keys to healthy leadership, but there may not be any that are more important than humility. And note that this call goes out, first of all, to leaders, but then secondly, to everyone. First, to leaders. The key to leadership, one of the keys to leadership, is humility. Do you understand this morning that that authority that's been given to you has not been given to you for your own sake, but for the sake of your people? And do you understand that without Christ's grace, you're completely ill-equipped to serve and serve well in this place? That you are as dependent, if not more dependent, as any of your people on the grace of Christ to enable you to lead your people with faithfulness? A a verse that should scare any leader, Hebrews 13 Verse 17, we read that leaders in the church are keeping watch over souls as those who will have to give an account for them. Now, I don't, I'm not sure I know all that that means. 
I, I'm not sure I really understand the fullness of what that's saying, but I understand a little bit, and it terrifies me, that there's a sense in which on that day, on that great day, Jesus will hold me accountable for your souls. And elders, deacons, board of women, there's a sense in which we are going to be held accountable for how we have cared for this flock. If, if that doesn't... Uh, give you the humility to ask for grace like manna that you may lead this flock well. I'm not sure what will. We're called to lead with humility. But before we close, let me also note for our members, for our people, it's not just the leaders who are to be humble. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, submit to them, clothe yourselves, who? All of you. All of you with humility toward one another. For God opposes the pride but gives grace to the humble. Yes, humility is to be a defining characteristic of leaders, but it's to be a defining characteristic of all of us. Humility is required for all of us and therefore it is a necessity for leadership. And so I wonder, um, how, the question would be, how easy are you to lead? That would be a question for you this morning. The rest of Hebrews 13 verse 17, the part I didn't read, says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Not a powerful verse. You don't want to be one of those people who when your leaders think of you, they groan. You don't want to be one of those people when your leaders think of you, just find it hard to find any joy. We're called to be a people of humility, a people of humility led by leaders who are humble. Let me close with a quick story on this. Um, this weekend, Clan Forsyth made the bold and foolish decision to go camping. Right? Um, first time I'd persuaded Rosie to go. I'd gone with the boys a few times, but first time I persuaded Rosie to go. And so uh, we went with a new tent that will fit all of us. And uh, the problem started when we took the tent out to set it up. Now, if you've been camping, you know that that's the very first thing you do. So the problem started as soon as we got there. Uh, When we unpacked the tent and found that it contained no poles. That's a problem. You don't need to know much about camping to know that a tent without poles is a pancake, right? That's that's how it works. Um, And so what did we do? We responded with life and energy and vigor. And we collected various ropes that we had and various bungees that we had. And we rigged this thing up to trees in a way that you would not believe, okay? Um, We took a picture. I'll put it on our McLean Press Facebook account later. Look at that. It's visually funny, right? You'll see it and you think... You stayed the night in that and it rained all Friday? And I was like, I know, I was there, okay? But it's, you, need, you need to see it, it's funny. Um, and what a great introduction to my wife's first camping trip, you know? Um, so a volunteer from the park service comes around and he sees what we have done, okay? And he looks at our tent and then he looks at us with eyes of compassion, right? And says, this tent... Uh, goes against, it's about eight violations, right? Eight, eight different kinds of laws that you are breaking with the way that you are doing this. And you should know this because uh, the park ranger is going to come around in a minute and they'll, you know, just prepare yourself for that conversation. And I'm thinking, you know, how do you prepare yourself for that conversation? I, don't, I, don't, I hear your advice, but I don't know what practically you want me to do with that information. So anyway, away he goes and up comes the, the park ranger. 
And uh, again, she takes one look at her tent and has a similar look of compassion. And what was really interesting was, rather than enforcing the letter of the law, she just started to help us. And then she offered, hey, I live about 15 minutes from here. I could go home and get my tent for you guys, if that would be helpful to you tonight. And it was really interesting what happened there. Well, first of all, you see example of humble leadership using her authority for the welfare of those entrusted to her care. But secondly, it was, it was what happened in me during that conversation was also interesting. Because when I'm told, you know, prepare, prepare yourself, a fight is coming, there's enough young man in me to be like, yeah, let's do this. I'm ready, okay? Um, but the fact that she was so humble and helpful made me want to be the best junior ranger in the whole park. <laughs> right? I was all about picking up trash and closing gates and doing everything else that you're meant to do in the park. The, her humble leadership made it really, really easy to follow her. And there's a sense in which that's the picture of the church. A group of men and women, broken each and every one yet, saved and loved by Jesus. Walking together in humility, being prepared to drive home so that we give each other a tent. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for uh, this time in your word and just the reminder, the reminder of it. The reminder for each of us to walk in humility, uh, honoring one another, whatever our positions, whatever our functions, that together we might live as the body you have called us to be and see your kingdom advance here on earth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.